Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hello, I'm joined this week by Hugh Williamson to talk about worker priests or ministers in secular employment. Hugh has written our cover feature for this week's Church Times on this. Hugh, welcome to the Church Times podcast. Thank you so much, Ed. Lovely to be here. But first of all, you have a, a personal interest in this, don't you? Um, could you explain a bit about what, how you came to be interested in worker priests? It's very personal for you. Sure, exactly. Yeah, my father, um, Canon Tony Williamson, um, in Oxford, was a, was a worker priest indeed for, for 30 years. He worked in a, a car factory British Leyland or Austin Rover car factory from the late 1950s until the late 1980s. He was a forklift cut, uh, truck driver uh, for most of that time. He was also a union representative. He was actually the first um, Church of England priest to be ordained while working in a factory who didn't then go off and do, be a curate for a period. So he stayed in the factory for, for that whole period after being ordained. Um, so he was one of a small group of sort of, of trailblazers in the late 50s um, who, who became worker priests. And obviously that's been an inspiration in my life. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer and a journalist and I'm interested in pursuing that theme a little bit and seeing what it means today. And that led me to write this article. Yeah, to talk about the article, you a few of the examples of, um, of those you spoke to for the article. Our, our cover actually is is a priest cutting someone's hair indeed well that's um anthea mitchell and she's a, a priest in in maidstone um and uh yeah she was actually um uh, ordained a curate last last summer um yeah and she's been a hairdresser for for all of her working life i think um and it was lovely to chat with her so she's she's really committed to to living out her ministry through her work um you know, as, as she says in the article, she has many more conversations about faith while she's cutting people's hair than she does in a religious setting in church. I also talked to, to Mark von Beeman, who, is a, who until recently was worked on the checkouts and worked as a community liaison, liaison officer um, in Tesco's in Birmingham, and to Gerard Mee, who is a carer who lives in, in Surrey, and he, work, he cares for patients who have MS who are blind, who just come out of hospital, um, and some very um, powerful experiences he related to me. And I talked to Max Bruton, who is, um, comes originally from Peru, and he works in cafes and restaurants in Oxford. So yeah, they shared very interesting experiences about their lives um, as ministers in secular employment. Just a little bit on that. I mean, people, listeners may be aware of self-supporting ministers as being quite important in the church these days. Ministers in secular employment are a sort of subgroup within that. And these are ordained ministers who see them see it as important um, that their, their workplaces are central to their ministry, essentially. And, and, and the group I talk to are, are ministers in secular employment, but they have a particular focus on working in, in what I called precarious work. So manual work or service sector work, jobs that are insecure, or perhaps short term. And they see as important 
working alongside people who are not particularly valued by society, have low, low scale jobs, poorly paid jobs. Um, so less so than working in professional areas, but more in, in, um, in, as I say, in precarious work. Does that tend to be the case with ministers in secular employment? They work in those more precarious professions rather than, say, in more secure and either public sector jobs or, or private sector jobs? Perhaps it's, not the, it's not the case, no. no, no. Most of them, in fact, um, this is all in, across the board, it's all very valuable work, but in fact, most ministers in secular employment are, are more in professional jobs, public sector, uh, accountancy, banking, uh, engineering, all sorts of important areas of work. But um, it's, I would say, broadly speaking, it's a, it's a minority who work in these sorts of more vulnerable professions. I was just thinking of people, you, you do get obviously self-supporting ministers or non-stipendiaries, they used to be called, who get ordained in order to serve a parish, but you know, during the week they do their job. But I mean, can those spheres be quite separate? But the people you spoke to, it's really that they're trying to integrate their work with their yeah. ministry. Exactly. It's obviously, it, 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 no, it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's fluid, but, but ministers in secular employment are definitely people who see their prime focus as being their work in their workplace. They, I mean, in the case of all the four I talked to, they are also involved in, in religious communities, in taking services, parts of parishes. They are, you know, um, regular, take regular services. So there's not that that is unimportant. unimportant. My father was, was completely engaged in a parish for, for 60 years of his life. I mean, but their primary focus is on their work. And that's not necessarily the case for for self-supporting ministers who see, who often have worked for many years and see their calling is to become a, an ordained priest and therefore their focus is on, is on that, is on parish life, being part of services and so on. How did you find these people's, both their employers and colleagues viewed them? Was there ever any suspicion about their motives or just sort of misunderstanding or confusion about what, what they were doing? That's a really important question, and actually, because broadly speaking, um, I would say the reception of the, the customers or the colleagues or even the employers was perhaps more overall, more receptive than the church. Perhaps we'll talk about this, the reception of the church a little later, but, but it's, it's interesting to make that distinction in a sense. I mean, in the case of Anthea, the hairdresser I mentioned, she says that... Um, her clients, for instance, have a, you know, often very understanding and very interested in her life, her mixture of work and faith, um, as she put it. And, and often, you know, she wears her dog collar while she's cutting hair. And often people just discuss their perspective, their own personal perspectives on faith or issues they have with her and so on. Mark, who, is the, who was the person who worked in Tesco's, um, Again, I think fairly typical experiences in this in this area, in the sense that colleagues he did he didn't come he doesn't didn't wear a dog collar, and he didn't immediately come forward with information that he's a minister to anybody to the employer or to colleagues, but it, can, it gradually came out and so on. And people colleagues were puzzled. They asked him, "So what are you doing here? Why don't you wear a dog collar?" He's a Catholic priest, and they often said, "Well, do you take confessions then?" and so on. So they, they come up with very standard questions, but then they also, over time, um, not only grew to accept him, but valued his role in the workplace as being of living out Christian sort of understandings, Christian values. Um, and that was also something my, my father always said, in a sense, that as long as he played a role which was supportive, engaged, representing Christian values, then he was, 
also valued in the workplace. Similarly for Gerard, the carer, he also does not, you know, does not wear a dog collar and does not focus on his on his faith. But nevertheless, you know, people are supportive. I talked to um uh, to Simon and Mahesh Ailing, who are Simon is a client of Gerard. Simon has his MS, and and then Simon was very straightforward. He says, you know, um, Gerard is a very good carer. He helps me a lot. Um, you know, I know he's a priest. We don't talk about religion, but we talk about all sorts of other things. His wife, Mahesh, um, said that, you know, Gerard's contribution was extremely important during the pandemic. He, he was our main carer for six months. He took a pay cut to, in order to, to help us. And they, they really, really appreciated his, his work. Max is the, Max, the person who works in the uh, restaurants in Oxford, is, is the more the exception in the sense that he's, He's not known to his his colleagues or indeed his clients that he's a priest, but he you know because he doesn't want to be seen as different or exceptional, um, and uh, he wants to you know play the role of he wants to be an ordinary colleague because then colleagues can have an open relationship with him and he can nevertheless express Christian values. He's always very keen on saying how how is your day going? God bless you. He told me and try to be a Christian spirit in the workplace, but in a very understated, discreet sort of way. Perhaps Mark's comment that, that he's worried that priests are often seen as being people on a pedestal, separate from ordinary society. Um, and that's what he wanted to go against. He wanted to not be on a pedestal. He wanted to be part of ordinary working life and make his contribution in that way. Perhaps that sums up their motivations a little bit. Obviously, lay Christians are often being told to um, you know, live out their faith in their everyday lives, in their workplace, and in, in the friendships they form with people. I mean, how how are, how is the calling of a worker priest different to that? Is there something they bring that's distinctive by being a priest? That's a good question. I mean, it's often a question actually that, that that's been posed to worker priests and secular employment over the years. I think, yeah, they think their training does does give add something in a sense theological to their to the to, to the role they're playing and their understanding of ministry. In a practical way, of course, you know, um, in each of these four cases, um, or perhaps not with Max because he's not so well known in the cafe, but with the other three cases, they often were asked. They were they were people. They were taken aside every so often by colleagues or customers and asked for a conversation about about faith. And that, in that sense, the 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 customer or the colleague was seeing them as a minister, in a sense, in the context of their work in that workplace and ask for some thoughts and guidance on, on a particular personal issue. And, and they often actually you know, took services as well, baptisms, funerals, weddings, and so on, of customers or clients. The same for my father. Um, so you know, they do play a role as a minister in addition to just being this discreet, understated Christian presence in the workplace. I think you also write about um, how, the, how the church hierarchy views um ministers in secular employment and question is there pressure is there a, a pull towards parish ministry um, perhaps when people are discerning a call to ordination or training i mean do people set out with a clear sense that they want to be a worker priest and is there a, a, a pull towards the parish is there enough support for them exactly that's a that's also a good question because generally speaking i mean there is a you know there is a, an association of ministers in secular employment called chrism the National Association for Christians in Secular Ministry. And one of their points on their agenda is to try to, to work within the church to enable it to, 
to be more supportive, more embracing of the, this particular role of, of priests. And it is, a, it is an issue, it is a problem. I spoke to Andrew Sewell, who is the Archdeacon of Maidstone, and, and he was the, he supported, um, he was the ministry facilitator. He supported Anthea in her ministry training. And he, he said it was quite tough for Anthea and for him as her supporter during her training, because what, there was what he called a really strong gravitational pull towards parish ministry in the training process. And that was quite difficult to resist. He said, we had to keep reminding the church, as it were, you know, that her calling, her personal calling was to be a minister in secular employment in her hairdresser salon, not to become a parish priest. And, you know, he, he was not, he, you know, he tried not to be too overly critical, but he just said the sort of the institutional um, inertia in the, in the institution of the church pulls things in that direction. So there needs to be a more awareness, more sensitivity. Yeah, and as, as a second step, better training, better resources available to priests who want to go in this direction. That's also the message of John Lees, who I also talked to. He's the National Officer for Self-Supporting Ordained Ministry. And that's his message, that there needs to be more awareness among the institutions and also more um, resources at the diocesan level. So more, um, more awareness on the website for people who are interested, who are in working professions, who want to continue their work, but do so in an ordained way of how they could do that, pathways into that, in terms of information made available, for instance, by diocesans. So the church thinks about its mission. There's a lot of anxiety about um, attendance, money. Um, there's strategic development funding. A lot of it's focused on filling churches that are fast becoming empty. I mean, do you think this should prompt a rethink about the church's mission? It should in some ways, absolutely, yes. But it's, it's, it's clear from the four people I spoke to that they absolutely did not see their role as as, as you know, bringing, getting more people to go to church. That was not how they saw their role. Their role is distinct. Uh, it's also a, a point which John Lees makes is that, you know, the, the original um, motivation for the church to set up training courses in the 1960s for people who, to, to, to become priests who then continued their ordinary work was not to recruit people to, you know, as, as, as regular churchgoers, but to have a, make a contribution to, to working, helping people who are in, in their working life situations. So, that, so that the role is not to, to recruit people to come and, and sit in pews on a Sunday morning. Nevertheless, you know, these ministers in secular employment have so much to offer to the church as an institution, as well as to parishes and communities. You know, they bring, they are part of, they are rooted into, they are integrated into the working lives of ordinary people. And as I said, often people in low paid jobs and these are people who are not connected to the church, who are often not coming to church, you know, and, 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 and bringing, living that experience, bringing that into the church is so valuable. So this is a really a, a wasted or a resource, an invisible um, function, as I, as I mentioned in my article, that the church could tap into so much more fruitfully if it, if it opened its eyes to doing so. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. 
you'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.